Welcome to the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Friday, July 29th. I'm Andrew Walworth. It's only a recession if I say it's a recession. That's basically the position taken by President Biden and Fed Chair Jerome Powell when it comes to the U.S. economy. On Thursday, we found out that the gross domestic product fell 0.9% in the second quarter, which means that we've had two quarters in a row with a shrinking GDP. And that is literally the textbook definition of a recession. And when I say textbook, I mean Paul Samuelson's Economics 101 textbook, which is the best-selling economic textbook of all time. But the White House says this time it's different, and it's making that argument to anyone who will listen. We'll talk about that, and we'll take a look at a brand new Real Clear Opinion Research poll on American attitudes toward billionaires. Love them, envy them, hate them. How do you feel about people with a thousand million dollars or more? Joining me are Tom Bevan, president and co-founder of Real Clear Politics, and Washington Bureau Chief Carl Cannon. So, Tom, the White House insists that um, this isn't a recession. Speaking from the White House on Thursday, Biden pointed to solid job growth and an uptick in manufacturing and said, that doesn't sound like a recession to me. Is he right? And do you believe him? <laughs> Listen, I understand the the impulse of the White House to try and, you know, die on this hill fighting to the, you know, tooth and nail on the technical definition of a recession. But it's bad politics. It makes them look out of touch. You know, you, you can argue the finer points of economics and what constitutes a recession, what doesn't constitute a recession. By the way, as you mentioned, it's the commonly held definition that's been used for decades now. And suddenly the, the White House wants to rewrite it. And by the way, the media went completely along with that. It was really a, just a a disgraceful performance by the media in parroting the White House and trying to redefine what constitutes a recession or not. But at the end of the day, it's what people are feeling in their everyday lives. If you try and tell them this is not a recession, if you try to tell them the economy is great, the White House press secretary stood at the podium three weeks ago and said this is the strongest economy ever. That does not make the White House look like they have a clue what's going on with you know, gas prices, inflation, yada, yada, yada. So I think it's just another example of the White House. Again, I understand the impulse, but it's it's it's, it's a wrong impulse and it's going to get them in more trouble because uh, statistics don't mean what the White House thinks it means. It's what's going on in people's lives on an everyday basis when they fill up their gas tanks, when they go to the grocery stores. And it's just not, it's not a great economy right now. People are struggling to make ends meet and and the White House trying to tell them that this is not a recession is is just makes them look really out of touch. Does the White House risk losing credibility with voters if it seems either not to care or maybe worse, uh, seems to be uh, using semantics to try to win political points? Well, I think they've already lost credibility with voters, but not not to put too fine a point on it, but in, in 2019, a presidential candidate argued that the economy was teetering on recession. That was his phrase, teetering on recession, when we'd had zero quarters of negative growth and unemployment rate was about the same as it is now. Well, that candidate was Joe Biden. So this ever-shifting definition doesn't interest people. The economy has got problems right now and everybody knows it. But there's a pitfall for Republicans too. This is a perennial problem for the out-of-power party when the the economy is, is struggling. And that is Republicans do not want to sound like they're rooting for a recession or they're happy at this bad news. And I've seen this before, and it really turns off independent voters. Um, and they look at it. and They don't like it. 
So these bad numbers when, when Republicans or Fox News people chortle about them, that's not a good look either, Andy. So to my way of thinking, each party has a problem. And what I ought to do is try to restrain its worst impulses. Well, Tom never chortles. I've never seen him chortle in I, I wasn't life. actually talking about my, my good friend, Tom Bevan. <laughs> but uh, what about I'm that? I'm mean, sure I could chortle if I wanted to. <laughs> is there a downside for Republicans in this? The one argument that you could make is that, to some degree, a recession is psychological, right? I mean, if people really believe things are going to get worse, they're going to pull back. They pull back on investment. They pull the money out of the market, whatever. They don't buy a house, and we end up in this sort of downward spiral. Maybe it's not so crazy to talk up the economy uh, if you're the president right now, especially going into the midterms, because between now and November, it's 103 days till the election, 102 days. Not much he can do about the economy, is there? No, and again, so I understand why the administration wants to tout you know, gas prices are dropping. Biden mentioned that today. And, and Ron Klain has been retweeting that, which is a double-edged sword, right? It reminds people, oh, well, prices are down 50% or, or 50 cents a gallon or whatever, but you're still paying $4 a gallon or something. Um, it well, also Tom, I have a different question about that, Tom. W- does Vladimir Putin get the credit for well, gas I was just going to say, that, that, that's <laughs> the other piece of the equation, which is, you know, Joe Biden wants to take credit for all the good parts of the economy blame all the bad parts of the economy on Vladimir Putin. And so he's blamed gas prices on Vladimir Putin, increasing gas prices. And now he wants to take credit for them coming down. Doesn't really work that way. And I don't think, you know, I think the American people are smart enough to see uh, the White House, you know, that that trick of of the White House's sleeve. So um, I agree with Carl, though. Look, you know, Republicans have to be careful that they're not rooting for failure. That is something that, you know, people... Uh, particularly nonpartisan, middle of the road, independent voters do not like to see one party, you know, spiking the football and dancing on, uh, dancing the end zone over over bad news, and especially when it's news that means people are really hurting out there. And so, I think the Republicans have to be careful about that. I do think it it is. Very interesting that you know Joe Manchin has flipped now and is on board with this big spending bill that well, it's a pared down version of build back better, but still it's hundreds of billions of dollars uh, that includes, you know, money for climate change and tax hikes and the like. Um, and now, you know, Mitch McConnell is out there saying, look, this is going to cost Americans, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs. Um, that, that, that is going to be another battle that's going to be taking place again, as we're headed right into a midterm election. Well, yeah, on Wednesday, uh, Chuck Schumer and, and Joe Manchin shocked everybody, I think, with the uh, yeah. when they worked out this deal. It's a scaled back uh, Build Back Better plan. It's about half the size of the original. Uh, it's got a new name. It's called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. So, But anyway, Carl, this must be good news at the White House. Um, is this going to go anywhere? And, uh, you know, Joe Manchin has already taken a lot of heat uh, for being a flip-flopper on this. Uh, well, I, yeah, I Joe Manchin can take heat for this. Um, he, he can handle that. You know what? Biden needed some wins. I, I noticed that the that the network news. Oh, this is a big win for Joe Biden. And you know, they it was a little bit maybe unseemly that you know they did these somersaults and give each other high fives while they're announcing it. But in all seriousness, Biden needed some. He needed some good news. He needed some wins. He needs to show the American people, and the Democratic Party does 
more broadly that, that they can that they can govern. Now, I I always think it's a little unfair that when when they have a six vote majority in the House and it's tied in the Senate, we we, we say that the Democrats control everything because that's not quite how Washington works. But still, Biden he came into office, he inherited this COVID disaster. Just as many people died under his leadership as. Donald Trump was president. Then the Afghanistan thing was mismanaged. Um, and that really was directly Joe Biden's decision making. Uh, and then the economy sort of came off the rails. So I think he needed some good news. And we've been we've talked about this in previous weeks. You know, there's a correlation. If a president is very unpopular, it's hard for his party to prevail in midterm elections. It's that basic. And what makes a president unpopular is a number of things, but one of them is if voters don't have a sense that the president is an F, you know, has any efficacy, if he can't get anything done, that's, that's just not a good look. So I think this, I think it was a good week for the president in that regard. Well, there is a school of thought, Tom, that Manchin basically was saving the Democrats from themselves by standing athwart most of their agenda for the last year. And people say how things would be much worse, at least in terms of the economy, if the original Build Back Better plan had passed. So is this really good news for the White House, or is this leading them down that same path they were on before? Big spending, big trouble. Yeah. I think you just I mean, chortled, think, just for the record. I think I, that was a chortle. Okay. Yes. I think it's it's a double-edged sword, because I think Carl's right. It shows, you know, it gives the president something to crow about, Democrats, you know, for, for months now, the headlines from the media have been, you know, Biden's agenda is stalled in Congress, stymied, not going nowhere, running out of time, all that stuff, dead on arrival. And now he's able to show that, yeah, in fact, they, they did do a deal. Um, and, and we'll see if they get it passed. So it, it's generating this idea that they are, you know, they have some positive momentum. That being said, um, and as much as Joe Manchin wants to say, well, you know, this is focused on deficit reduction it still spends hundreds of billions of dollars uh, into the economy on climate change. It, 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 it hikes tax. Yeah. So, so I, I think in that sense, it may not do what the Democrats think it's going to do. It's certainly not the inflation reduction act. I, I was, you know, so many people were talking about the climate change aspect of this and how it's supposed to reduce, you know, emissions by 40%. I said, they should rename it the emissions reduction act. That would be more truthful um, at least in, in terms of what the bill is, uh, you know, supposed to do, but whatever. I mean, I think it's a double-edged sword. He's going to get, he's going to get in the short term, he's going to get the headlines that he wants and that the Democrats want, and they quite frankly need at this point. But in terms of whether it's a net positive in the medium to long term, you know, I think the jury's still out on that. Well, Carl, do you think this, uh, any of this makes any difference between now and uh, November or is that midterms pretty much already baked. I don't think they're baked. I, I, I it, it'd be very difficult for the Democrats to hold on to the House, but 100 days is a long time in politics, Andy, especially when you have, you know, a, a madman in Moscow invading countries. So I, I won't make those predictions. And I think the Senate's going to be, the Senate's tough. The, the, you look at these states, the key states, and while all of the fundamentals, what political scientists call, you know, favor the Republicans, in some of these races, the Democrats have an obviously more appealing candidate than the Republicans in some of these key Senate races. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. 
Tom is restraining himself. He's not laughing. He's not scoffing. I mean, I do appreciate that. Um, but I'm, I'm about to I'm, chortle I'm, your Yeah, <laughs> he hasn't chortled yet. But I, yeah, look, hundred days, long time. Tom, I think it's baked. I mean, I think you know perceptions about this economy. I think Carl's right, though. I mean, I think there are some in the Senate. You have there are some Republican candidates that. You know, we'll see whether they're able to get across the finish line with even with all of these tailwinds. But but as far as the 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 mix and what's important to voters, it's been very clear for a long time. And and nothing's really changed that. Not the you know, not the Dobbs decision, not the invasion of Ukraine. I mean, none of those things have changed. Voters are urgently, imminently worried about their economic situation, inflation, jobs, gas prices, etc., and crime. Crime's on the list. It's down a little bit. Immigration's on the list. It's down a little bit. I mean, the, the, the economy stuff is an order of magnitude. I mean, it's 50, 60, 70%, depending on the poll you look at. And and if you combine various you know categories that fall under the economic basket. And so to the extent the gas prices can continue to decline, that's helpful for the Democrats. You know, I mean, maybe we'll get back to two and a half dollar gas, but in a hundred days, I don't think so, but it's possible. If inflation starts to you know, lessen dramatically, then perhaps that would that would benefit them. But right now, I mean, the perceptions of of where the economy is are pretty fixed in the minds of a lot of voters, and I just don't see that changing a lot in the in the next hundred days. Well, let's move on to this uh, new poll that uh, the Real Clear Opinion Research just completed. This was a poll about attitudes towards billionaires. Um, Interesting question, especially with all the billionaires in the news these days. Carl, tell us about it. You've got an article that came out this morning on this, and people, uh, readers can find Carl's article and all the details of the poll on the website this morning. Andy, there were a couple couple interesting things in the poll to me, and, and readers can make up their own mind. But this, By the way, this poll was Tom's idea. I was going to say, yeah, it was Tom's idea. Yeah, it was Tom's idea. And uh, John Delavolpe, our Holster did it. Um, and the two takeaways to me that I think were most significant were the American people are really dead set against the idea of billionaires being able to give unlimited sums to political campaigns. And when you think, of, and they, they don't do it directly, they can't give it directly to candidates, but they set up PACs, they do dark money, they have all these ways of doing it. Uh, and we don't even know all the billionaires who do it because it's so it's such a dishonest and untransparent system. But, you know, for years and years, uh, the Democrats railed against the Koch brothers, Charles and David Koch, who gave hundreds of million dollars to, to conservative causes and money that found its way into Republican campaigns uh, through various means. And the Democrats in recent three, like two of the I think the last three election cycles have surpassed them. They use uh, union money and their own billionaires, including people like George Soros, um, who give to liberal. He gives directly his foundation to liberal prosecutors around the country who prosecutors who don't like to prosecute. And so voters don't like that. Republicans, Democrats, independents are all against it. That's one thing. The Supreme Court has made it tough to regulate this. The two political parties have really made it tough because they lie about what they're doing and they they criticize the other side while taking the money for their side. The other thing that I found fascinating was this willingness, this desire to tax billionaires. Now, as you know, Andy, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have both had these confiscatory 
tax plans. I don't even know if they're constitutional to tax the net wealth of families, billionaires, um, to, to make them every year tax them so that after a while they're no longer billionaires. That seemed like a kind of a gimmicky scheme they came up with, the two of them, when they're running for president. Guess what? Voters like it. And this poll showed that. And not just progressives, not just young people. Democrats like it. Independents like it. Even Republicans uh, overwhelmingly would like to tax billionaires much higher than they're being taxed. So those are the two things. There are a lot of other things uh, about the poll. We can talk about it. But those are the two things that jumped out at me. Tom, was your idea? What, what jumped out? to you about the poll. <laughs> well, one of the things we asked about was billionaires' influence in our civic life, right? Do we mind, as Carl said, you know, how, how do people feel about billionaires participating in elections? How do we feel about billionaires owning sports teams? How do we feel about billionaires owning social media companies and, and legacy media companies? And there, the data was kind of interesting. Social media companies, I think, what was it, Carl? 43% of folks would rather not have billionaires owning social media companies. They should be put in more of like a public trust and legacy media companies like Jeff Bezos owning the Washington Post, uh, Lorraine Powell Jobs owning the Atlantic, those sorts of things. Even worse, 50% of folks said they did not want that. So um, well, and, and, only, and it's not 50-50, like 50, 25, 25. So about a fourth of the voters are undecided. So almost by two to one, people do not want billionaires owning media companies. What about sports yeah. teams? They were they were okay with that. Yeah, weirdly they're okay with sports teams. <laughs> yeah. um, except for, except for Washington DC, but fan. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah. going to say except for the, the Dan commander. The, yeah. <laughs> we should no, have broke so, that one out locally. Listen, I think the poll also showed that there is a certain amount of, particularly on the Republican side, there's still an, a likable factor. I mean, they they respect people who have made their own money, who have have become billionaires on their own merit and because they've created a, had a great idea and there's this aspirational aspect. People want still want to believe that this is a land where you can come up with a great idea and become a billionaire yourself. Um, on the other hand, well, there's we, this counter. We have this, we have this graphic, uh, Tom, should we tell them about it? I mean, sure. So we, when I think we said, when I think about billionaires, my reaction is blank. And we gave them five choices. Uh, I admire them. I want to be them. I just don't believe people should amass that much money. I hate them and none of the above. Um, I admire them and I was 32%. I want to be them 31%. I don't believe they should amass that much money. It was only 25%. I hate them only 3%. So, mm. so this class warfare, you know, people may want to tax them, these people, but they don't hate them. They don't loathe them. They, th this attitude that, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren displayed this real contempt, this loathing of rich people. Um, Americans want to tax them. They like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's ideas to tax them, but they don't share their antipathy for them. I think that's right. And, and But we are seeing these billionaires, as you mentioned, I mean, they're in the news every day now. Elon Musk is in the news for good things, bad things, other things. Jeff Bezos is in the news. Bill Gates is in the news, you know, buying farmland in North Dakota or wherever. I mean, uh, it's like you can't go a day or or a couple of days without having some sort of headline involving these billionaires. And and there is a political aspect to it, obviously. Um, but uh, so it's so I think all of these findings are interesting that that the that the country and, and people in general 
don't hate them and still have these warm feelings toward them in terms of their you know aspiration. But but on a day to day basis, though, they're becoming more and more politicized in in the way that they appear in the news and the things that they're doing and saying. Yeah, they are becoming celebrities. And Carl, in your article, which I commend to people, because you go back and talk about some of some people like Rockefeller, some of the uh, who would who would have been the, a billionaire, I guess. Billion, yeah, the first right? Henry Ford, first yeah. billionaire. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, were the attitudes the same back then? I mean, or have things changed? There, you know, there was an important difference with Henry Ford. Um, I saw this once, and I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but by the time. I, by the time Henry Ford made his first, you know, 10 or 20, 50 million dollars, uh, he'd employed 100,000 people. When Mark Zuckerberg was worth, you know, his first 50 million, he probably employed 200 people. There was an idea that these, that these guys were creating wealth, not just for themselves, but for the country as a whole. And so in that sense, it's a harder hurdle. And it's really even harder for these, these venture, these hedge funds guys who just move money around and, uh, you know, manipulate currency. That's what George, George Soros, he didn't build any ships or railroads or anything. He, he manipulated money. I just don't think people respect that as much. That That's what Henry Ford and people like that had going for them. What this current generation does is that Carnegie and, and uh, Leland Stanford, Henry Ford, Johnny Rockefeller, they gave a lot of money away. Well, Bill Gates is the giving standard. a lot of money away. I mean, yeah, well, I was going to say Bill Gates and this giving pledge and Warren Buffett have done it's unprecedented. And I think that, that that's that's on the other side of the ledger. That creates a lot of goodwill. Well, we'll leave it there. I want to thank uh, Carl Cannon, Tom Bevan. I commend the article and the uh, poll to you. It's on the Real Clear Opinion Research homepage. We're usually here Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays in some form or fashion. So bookmark this podcast. Check back often. Check out the Real Clear Defense podcast, Hot Wash, which you can also find on the RCP site for more on Ukraine and military and strategic issues, which we didn't talk about this week. As ever, I urge you to go to Real Clear Politics, read one article from a writer or publication with whom you disagree. And thank you for listening. Until next time, for Real Clear Politics, I'm Andrew Walworth. <laughs>